Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Tiferet Talk. I'm Melissa Stuttered, and this is the Blog Talk Radio Show for Tiferet, a journal of spiritual literature, where we publish writings and engage in dialogue to promote peace in the individual and in the world. We're thrilled that you're with us right now, and we would love for you to also join our global online community at www.tiferetjournal.com. There, in addition to interacting with other members, reading their writings, and posting your own writings, you can subscribe to the journal, which in each issue presents high-quality poetry, prose, and art. As well, we'd like to take a moment to welcome two phenomenal editors to our staff, Gail Brandeis, our new nonfiction editor, and our Jeffries, our new associate editor. I'm delighted to announce also that our Jeffries will be joining me to co-host the show tonight. This evening's guests are the fabulous literary duo, poets Helen Cardona and John Fitzgerald. In addition to writing poetry, Cardona is an actor, translator, teacher, children's story writer, and dream analyst. She is the author of the bilingual poetry collections, Dreaming My Animal Selves, Life in Suspension, and The Astonished Universe. Of Cardona's Dreaming My Animal Selves, Jean Houston says, in this extraordinary volume of soul-crafted poetry, words become wands to enchant and evoke our better selves. Fitzgerald, in addition to writing poetry, is a novelist, editor, and lawyer. He is the author of Telling Time by the Shadows, The Mind, and the novel in verse, Spring Water, which was a turning point book's Prize selection in 2005. His fourth collection, Favorite Bedtime Stories, is forthcoming from Salmon Poetry in 2014. Robert Nazarene says that Fitzgerald's Springwater is to poetry what The Silence of the Lambs is to filmdom, a harrowing narrative trip that makes for an absolutely compelling read. Both Fitzgerald and Cardona have published widely in journals and anthologies, and together the couple wrote the screenplay Primates based on Fitzgerald's novel. Hello, is everyone there? I yes. am. <laughs> Hello, Melissa and Jeffrey. Hello. Okay, I hear the two of you wonderful, and it's John here too. 
Yes, I'm here too. Nice to uh, hi, John. Uh, Welcome, everyone. I'm so happy to have you all with me tonight. Thank you so much. What a treat. We're thrilled. <laughs> <laughs> Terrific. So um, I'm going to go ahead and jump in with a question. Helen and John, individually you two are each an amazing powerhouse, but together you're a veritable force of nature. So what I want to know is how you two support and encourage each other, and how has your relationship contributed to your growth as artists? Helen, would you start? <laughs> well, it's it's a, it's really quite magical because we met through poetry. Um that's how we met. I heard John read and uh you know, I was thoroughly enchanted. And so we our relationship started in a very old-fashioned way. We we started writing each other and uh sending each other uh poetry, poems. And uh, so um, we are very, very. We are. Incre- I mean, he's he's my number one supporter, and and vice versa. You know, we we just are the first to read each other's work, and um, and we inspire each other as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's wonderful, John. What do you have to say about it? <laughs> yeah, I think that pretty much sums it up. Really, um, <laughs> we uh, <laughs> we're supportive of each other. Uh, basically, that's about it, really. Okay, well, great. <laughs> well, you know, you two are both so successful in other fields, and yet you choose to also write poetry, which tells me that you must have a deep belief in and love for poetry because, you know, we don't make a lot of money doing that. <laughs> and, right. Helen, you know, you could just sit back and say, hey, I'm a movie star, look what I've done. But, uh, you know, in that one area alone, you've accomplished more than most people will. So so my question is, why poetry? What is it about it that that is so fundamental to you that, that you feel like you need to do it? Um, John, why don't you go first this time? Well, I, yeah, really I'm compelled to do it. That's for, um, I, I don't feel like I have much of a choice, really. Um, the, the only reason I'm, I'm a lawyer is just to... Uh, make a living so that I can write poetry. Um, <laughs> pretty much I'm a lawyer on the side, really. Um, but uh, <laughs> what I'm about is really just uh, writing. So, uh, well, even even my job as a lawyer is, is writing pleadings and motions for the federal court. But um, when I get home at night, this is how I spend my time, just reading and writing and uh, pretty much uh, spend all my time researching things, reading and writing them, and uh, that's who I am, really. Mm, wonderful! I love that you you write you work to support your writing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and Helen, how about you? Yes, Melissa, I I feel it chooses me, and and maybe as an artist, you you feel the same way that you know art chooses us, and 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 we serve it. It's like you know, I started writing when I was ten or eleven, uh, writing poetry. It's something um, that was just for me a, a way to express myself, uh, and uh, you know, it's just a, a way to to fulfill myself and and. Uh, to transcend, you know, experiences uh, into uh, something that is going to be healing and beautiful. So both, you know, the poetry and and the acting serve serve that purpose. 
Mm, wonderful. And you come from a family with poetry in your background, correct? <laughs> well, you know, my father, father. My, yeah, my father is a poet, and um, uh, he's actually a, a, a Spaniard. He, he was born on the island of Ibiza, Spain. And he, um, a couple of years ago, a few years ago now, I, I went back with him um, because the uh, government of Ibiza published an anthology of his work called uh, the Burnham Wood, named after um, the Shakespeare play, you know, um, the Burnham Wood in Macbeth. So it has a, a political, uh, you know, aspect, content. It's, it's, it's uh, an anthology of his work. He, he had uh, two uh, books of poetry published, and he had been widely published in journals. And he basically, the reason I was born in in uh, Paris and my brother in Geneva is because he had to exile to exile himself uh, from the uh, Spanish from the uh, Franco dictatorship, and wow. so because of his writing, right? So he he wow. <laughs> yeah he <laughs> just you... <laughs> escaped, and 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 uh, and he um, wrote uh, very much about you know his the land, you know, where he comes from and, and, and also the need to be free. And so I, I guess that's also partly in, in the genes, you know, and John being a Fitzgerald and his father also had a way with words. Maybe we have something that's, that, you know, comes to us through uh, our, our parents that way. I mean, I, as far as I'm concerned, I, I grew up in a, in a household that was filled with books and and reading i started reading very early you know just because that's what was going on around me <laughs> you know? yeah. how interesting to be exiled because of something you've written too i mean it, it just shows how powerful it's incredibly powerful, isn't it? And no? yes, and it's a, the the first thing that dictators are afraid is that you know is is it's it's just amazing. They they just have to control people's mind and and um, their minds. And one way to do it is by uh, not allowing uh, access to to the written word, basically, or the spoken word, for people not to be able to express themselves. And so, it's. Um, it's just amazing the the lack of imagination of of uh, dictatorships. You know, you can see how how people. So the writers that you know, the art that comes out of uh, a country like Spain under Franco, it's really interesting because it's uh, when there's censorship, one has to be more creative also, in order mm. to disguise you know themes and uh, they're not too bright. You know, dictators. So you have to. <laughs> Talking about right now. <laughs> so it's 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 very you know it becomes subtle and 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 you you decipher you read through the lines yeah <laughs> that's wonderful <laughs> thank you um Jeff do you do you want to ask a question you've been yeah quiet. I do Melissa thank you I just want to make a quick statement and just say that I am incredibly honored and thrilled to now be a part of the wonderful Tefera Journal staff for the moment. Amazing community. Thank you. I am. <laughs> We're so happy. <laughs> Congratulations. Honored. Yes. And to thank you for asking me to co-host tonight as well, Melissa. It's, it's and have an opportunity to speak with Helen again. And hi, Helen, and hi, John. Hi, Jeff. It's hi. such a pleasure. It's such a pleasure. Yes. Yeah. I very much appreciate it. I honestly say that I'm going to try my very best to enjoy being in the company of two incredibly talented, beautiful women. All when indignities one must endure, but I'll try. 
Well, thank you. We appreciate your efforts. <laughs> You're most welcome. Helena, I have a question for you and, and also for John as well. I know there are certain things you must do as an actress to prepare for your roles. And, John, likewise, you must prepare a lot of paperwork for cases as an attorney. Are there ways in which your preparation in these other careers aids or mirrors your writing process? Helen, would you answer first, please? Uh, are there ways in which... They mirror your writing process. Oh, yeah, yes, of course, of course. Well, I think yeah, <laughs> I think everything does, you know, and especially um, other artistic endeavors um, act as a stimuli. So in, in terms of... It's very specific when it comes to me and the connection with acting because, um, and it's very magical, um, because when I lived in New York, I, I was introduced to Ellen Burstyn, you know, at the Actors Studio, and I was I was um, able to study with her, which was really um, a great privilege. She only taught uh, two classes, workshops, you know, and she introduced me. She was the first one to introduce me to guided meditations as a process to uh to um open up travel to uh to places you know that the uh, the conscious mind uh doesn't have access to necessarily and uh, you know in a bit ac- accessing an altered state through meditation and then i i met sandra Seacat also through the actor studio who's an extraordinary coach and she introduced me she was the first one to introduce me to dream work which is something that i've been doing now for many years and uh, that I'm also able to help others with. And the dream work is basically, uh, has, you know, when I started um, this type of work was to, um, to help me um, peel the layers of, of uh, characters, you know, I was working on. And uh, I found out that actually it's, 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 uh, it's a tool, um, a healing tool, basically, to dreams are there to basically help you in, in life, you know, in general, because you hold the answers, uh, you do. And so um, you just dig uh, deep within and, you know, ask your, your inner self questions and the dream will uh, reveal them. And then you have to decipher the dream. So that's been very productive for for writing. It's it's been you know mining my dreams, <laughs> and so this book in particular is 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 inspired by several dreams I had, and some of them were like tales, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, Helen, because what you're talking about relates so much to the poems that I'd like to have you read. Do you all mind if you read your poems before John answers the question? It's the perfect time to, to talk about it. So um, so just be great if you could read those poems. We'll talk about them just a little bit, and then we can go to John answering that question. Sure. So I'll read oh, um, From the Heart with Grace, or both of them, or just one? Yes, From um, the Heart with Grace, please. From the Heart with Grace. Both, both of them um, together, okay. if you could, and read the, the sexiest flower first, if you don't mind. Okay. <laughs> okay. Thank you. So, sure. Um, the sexiest flower. Orchids seduce sultry swans shaped like us. Their primal mouths entice. Ghost cocoons aglow in moonlight. Subliminal animals whose elegance and passion for the theater fixate on perfection. 
sanguine or virginal, they take four years to flower and cast their spell. Their irid lids caress secrets of orange tentacles, purple tongues, gold robes dripping jewels, luscious lips that colorize our desires in their everness. Their bold mastery and downward glances bewitch and summon us to Cythera. Wonderful. Let me just say very quickly and interject, don't mean to interrupt, but just there's nothing better than having a wonderful poet read their work to you, getting the Mm. right inflection, tonality. Wonderful. Please continue, Lennon. (laughs) Thank you, Jack. Absolutely. (laughs) Thank you. From the heart with grace, a wind who yearns to be savored offers me three cups overflowing with eternity Damon of insight, the opportune encounter and rapturous quintessential distress ruffles estranged quietude, kindles a jeu d'esprit, glücklicher Reise, propels the fervent fragrance of heliotrope, hyacinth, and honeysuckle. The tremulous hibiscus taunts me to warm climates, reminds me I remain a thistle, resilient, rooted in Mediterranean Celtic fringe. Do you remember a language older than time, when a shiver down my mother's spine was worth a thousand words, and the melancholy in my father's eyes, reflecting Lake Geneva, was indecipherable? There, unbeknownst to me, in a world inhabited by swans, I, too, swim in concentric circles to find the resonance of my core and discover that in dreaming lies the healing of earth. In dreaming, we travel to a place where all is forgiven. In dreaming is the divine created. And the great oneness whispers ex voto, I am centaur by any other name. I am griffin by any other name. I am mermaid by any other name. My raison d'être, insubstantial, chameleon, excavated like a talisman from wreckage, resplendented fresco, catapulted beyond whimsical, metamorphic frontiers. Excellent. (laughs) Well, I have to say that's my favorite poem of yours, so I'm so glad you read it tonight. (laughs) Thank you. Um, Beautiful reading, too, and you see why I wanted you to read this in conjunction with what we were just talking about, because you really do walk that dreamscape in these poems, and you you, you bring the bounty of the unconscious back out to the light, and um, I love that. So I wanted to see, you, you talked already about dreaming and art and dreaming and poetry and, and how that's all interrelated, but Something that you touched on in From Heart with Grace is that in dreaming lies the healing of the earth and the resonance of your core. And so I wanted to see if you could elaborate on that a little bit. Yes, because we um we are we are whole, like we are connected, uh you know, we are connected to the divine in, in, in the dream. We, we we have access to the oneness where we're one, you know, with everything, right? So that's the place where we can find ourselves 
whole. And so whatever is going on that need repairing, that's where, you know, the, the remedy lies, basically. We have, um, you know how the brain is. We, we, we have the, um, the old reptilian brain, which is when we, you know, were reptiles on Earth. The first brain that evolved, you know, into the mammalian brain, the um, the feeling brain, basically that mammals have, where you know now emotions is involved, and then we have the neocortex for you know the the human uh, the human species evolved. So beyond that, you know, is the pineal gland, and it's like when you dream, you know, all the brains shut down one after the next until that's the 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 only thing left you know where you're you're just connected to all uh through that pineal gland you know it's like the 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 place where 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 definitely we have access to where we came from and where we're going when we leave our our um um persona you know our our outer self you know at the end mm-hmm. of this life yeah Absolutely. Thank you. I have a little bit more. I might want to ask you about that later, but first I, I want to see if Jeff has anything he wants to say about I wanted to ask John if he would, um, and thank you, John, for, for letting us um, sort of circumvent your answer. If you'd like to answer that question as well, if you need me. Yes, um, The question was uh, about uh, how my uh, job interacts with... Exactly. In any ways in in which you prepare in your other careers, how they aid or mirror your writing process. Well, like I said, I I write uh, uh, motions and pleadings for the federal court. I don't really... uh, I don't really have to appear there. The the cases I do are done in writing. Um, I never have to go and argue and, and... be standing up in court. Uh, it's all done in writing. Um, the the U.S. attorney is the guy on the other side, and we're just writing back and forth to the court. And whoever wins wins. And I'm uh, basically uh, representing disabled people, and the other side's representing the government. Um, I don't find very much that that contributes to my ability to write poetry. Uh, it's more like an outcropping of the type of person I am who just is interested in researching and writing things. Well, I um, wonder, John, if there may be a connection between you being uh, your empathy in pleading that case as well as the empathy that's in, in your writing. I think we all, to be relatable to our readers, must have empathy in our work. It's my feeling. Oh, yeah, I agree with that. Uh, everybody has to have empathy. I mean, that's kind of... Uh, um, what makes us able to connect with other people? Um, mm-hmm. There's a you know there's a, a experiments that show that uh, when when you act like, they actually did this with a monkey and they they show that when you see something happening to another person, it registers in you as as if it's really happening to you. I've and, seen that exactly. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's wow. a very interesting thing uh, uh, that uh, that I, I think in the in the future, as humans continue to progress, it's possible that um, the the power of empathy will possibly you know just in fact one of the poems that uh, I sent you is is about that uh, the the power uh, of humans to like progress to a point where you know because 
there have been on Earth up to now uh, at least 24 species of humans, all of which have gone extinct except for us. And the, we like to think that we're the pinnacle of success and that there's no progressing beyond what we have achieved. Right. But, but the fact is uh, evolution didn't stop. It's still going on right now. Uh, it, it didn't end with us, and it's happening now. And the, the best thing that could probably happen to humans is they progress into something else, um, th that they become more advanced and might even be considered to be a completely different species from what we are now. The way, uh, like when we look back in time, uh, for example... If you look back to the Middle Ages or back to uh, prehistory, back where people seem to be barbaric, um, I think that there will be a time in the future when people then will look at us right now and think the same thing. Like, boy, though, how do they ever get through? <laughs> I'm already thinking it, John. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've been, yeah, been fighting with tongue trying to say, well... You know, does that mean to evolve past Walmart and I'm good to go? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> oh, well, that's amazing. Well, would you read your poems now that we're, we, we've done the same thing. We've gone into the territory, so let's hear the poems. Yeah. Okay. Does, and, it, and, oh, go ahead, please. In either order, or do, do you have a preference? Or what? <laughs> I'm so glad you asked. I'm really not a control freak, but I do have a preferential <laughs> order for both of you. Okay. Um, I would love to hear the man who knew everything and then the becoming. Okay. Uh, both of these will appear in my uh, next upcoming book from Salmon. Uh, oh, wonderful. Do you want to give us a title of that? It's uh, Favorite Bedtime Stories. And, okay. Uh, and it'll come out in 2014. Um, so this is called The Man Who Knew Everything. Sapiens number seven billion. And it's the same with me as with every other human. I formed immersed in a dark sack of fluid and bore through a tunnel into the light. From that time, I have never been alone. From that time, too, I have always been. I am a hypothetical being. Every person born of my line, the day and year and place that I was, and given my features, Strengths and limitations would almost certainly be me. For over a year did I write certain nights when I could, orator for the planet with a voice like dirt and a few odd ghosts behind me. Herein lies the testament of Earth, a statement much too much for me to bear. It overwhelms me, and I am afraid. I have no proof. I am poet and cannot explain I will go into the other room to drink. My God, my love is way out of control. All manner of loneliness I pray to. I will be like the far thoughts of paper when the word existed before it was spoken. <laughs> wow, that was so powerful. <laughs> I was, that's uh, my word, Melissa. Thank you. I was just going to say that exactly. Powerful. Uh, thank you. Uh, well. And, uh, that was recently published in The Passionate Transitory, so I'll just give a shout-out to them. Congratulations. Oh, great. Yes. Yeah, thank you. And so the other one, um, 
It was called The Becoming. Um, that was recently recently published in the Toronto Quarterly, so I'll shout it out to them too. Um, it has uh, it begins with a, an epigraph by Hermes Trismegistus: "That which is above is from that which is below, and that which is below is from that which is above, working the miracles of one." So it's called the becoming. I have become one of these humans. From beyond, I return in the literal way, with account of both the transit and its feeling. Thought recedes like a land bridge covered with sea in the days when the flood struck awe in every heart to set me once again among you. It has been so long. I come down from above your lights on a red eye over metropolises, aglow with electricity, from Atlanta to far-stretching city of angels. I come down, backward in time, across shades of altitude and night. It has been so long. Atlanteans, Angelinos, I pawed unto thee over waves and basic cables, fiber optically. I glass and fire worked. It has been so very long. I reappear thrice great to now, philosopher over all Earth's meanings. An architect mistook in scripture, a little one, already ancient, with cracks for veins, to the latent pagan icons, to the Latin and classical Greek, it has been so long, to the offspring of Ardi and Lucy and Otzi, to the Jutes and the Saxons and Celts, it has been so long. Humans, time to move, we are of another age, revising, reliers on dogma, so long, borders all over the globe, so long, for I am lover of the word since the beginning, and that earth seems to move, I believe. It is a fool who grows a crop and does not harvest, for he is left with a crop of insects. The thoughts of the mind are a crop. Take these in and realize. So long, disconnected descendants, misleaders and users, so long. You knew or should have known what gets scratched by flesh into stone. Thus, I am born among sapiens to exact humanity. You swear when you hear, I am coiner of words, my poem a garment painted rosily. Sing to it, erect it at the fair, impress whatever tiny spark in you may listen. 114 million years ago, the first flower spat its never-seen color out of earth. A flower heretofore latent in humans is about to burst. Spread the word, now understanding is at hand. The new human, with a book 13 billion years in the making. God, it has been so long. <laughs> wow. Wow. Oh. So That's powerful. Can we, can we um, it may be a good time for it, interject a question from chat for our guests. Oh, Definitely, de definitely. And let me, um, since John was very uh, graceful to thank the uh, journals, I, you know, before the poems I read, before uh, they were published in um, the book uh, by Salmon Poetry, Dreaming My Animal Selves, I definitely want to thank Thrush Poetry Journal and um, its editor, Helen Victoria, for publishing From the Heart with Grace, you know, your favorite poem, Melissa. He was nominated for Best of the Net and uh, for a Pushcart Prize and also um, was published uh, in the 
Toronto Quarterly, in which you were published as well, writing for um, Poetry Month. All of us, actually, John, you yeah. and I, were there for uh, April Poetry Month. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the other one, um, The Sexist Flower, was um, published in Recours au Poème, which is um, publishing poetry in both um, English and French. So definitely um, my grateful thanks. <laughs> oh, thank you, Helen. That was very, very nice. Thank you. Um, Jeff, do you want to interject from the chat room? Yeah, there was a yeah, there's a question in chat that uh, Donna would be thought would be nice for us to ask. Um, it's for from Michael Hansen, and it's for both Helen and John. What they think the import what they think of the importance of public readings is to the act of poets. Nice question. I think it's it's um, it's great for um, for poets to read. You know, for us to read our work in public. Uh, for an audience to discover the poets that way. Um, the poems um, um, have a, a different energy when they're uh, spoken out loud uh, than when they're read. So if you can do, if you, you know, if you can read uh, your poems and, and convey that, it's, it's wonderful. Not, a, not every poet is a good reader. So, you know, it's not, you know, it's, it's tricky. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's an art, you know, and some are performance poets as well, which is a, uh, an altogether different animal, right? Um, but I think it's wonderful to connect with the audience for, for the poets, you know, as well. To, 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 um, uh, it's a kind of a communion of sorts. You know, Helen, when I first recognized you online on Facebook, um, the first photo I saw of you was you were standing under a tent at a small dais and reading a poetry, and I said, what a lovely scene. Didn't know who you were. It just came up in my feet, and, and then I said, oh, she's a poet and an actress. That was my first introduction to you. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Thank you. I remember I recall what I wrote to you, and I wrote, this is one of the most beautiful photos I've ever seen. <laughs> Thank you, Jeffrey. Well, now I want to see the picture. You're going to have to post it for everyone. <laughs> Jeff? <laughs> and, John, your response? Well, yeah, I, I think uh, it, it's good to um, for people to hear the poems the way they're intended. Um, you might, at least as far as, uh, as I'm concerned, I, I think... Um, you know, every every syllable in the poem is is there for a reason. Uh, nothing is to be thrown away. Like uh, I like them to be read slowly. I write I write them. Uh, I, I've read my poems out loud to myself a thousand mm-hmm. times, and uh, basically, uh, I, I think it's you know historically uh, an oral tradition. Uh, the the you know the the way humans used to. Uh, keep track of their own history and, and where they thought they came from uh, uh, before they invented writing was was all done orally. Like uh, in even things like re- like the recipe for beer was in written in a poem, and the the, uh, the uh, way people um, just transform or transmitted their knowledge about th- their own history was through the poets and who. In, in historic times, were you know basically second to the king. A, a poet could could make or break a person. Uh, for example, uh, there's a woman named Sybil Ludington. 
I don't know if you've ever heard of Sybil Ludington, but uh, the same night that Paul Revere rode across uh, yelling that the British are coming, Sybil Ludington was 17 years old. She rode twice as far as he did, did the exact same thing, but no one's ever heard of her because no one wrote a poem about her. John, I'm uh, in Massachusetts, so yeah, I, I learned about that as a kid exactly, and she's unheard of. And that's a great point. I'm part Native American descent, uh, Eastern Cherokee, and they're still trying to construct a, a written language for it because it was always oral and always right. handed down the knowledge. Yeah. Right, yeah. right. So yeah. I think it's important. John, um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about the poems that you read, too. Um, the flower, this flower that's latent in humans and about to bloom, what a wonderful concept that is. And we talk about empathy, and you talk about understanding in the poem. Is there anything else that, that you want to say about the flower? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I think uh, that, as I said, that right now uh, people are still progressing, that they will either go extinct or they'll reach a point where they progress even further, and they'll look back on us as if we were cavemen. Um, Mm-hmm. that that uh, that's going on right now um we'll, we'll either reach that or we'll uh go extinct um is that why it's important to you to talk about it in the context of prehistory because the scope of that poem is so huge and even even in the other poem there was a sort of prehistory when you, you talk about the word before it was spoken, and yeah. I'm just fascinated with that aspect of your work. Yeah, because I'm, I'm, I just look at everything as one long continuum um, that, uh, you know, right now I'm writing a book of, of uh, nonfiction about everything that's happened from the Big Bang to now. Um, and when you when you see things in that sort of a timeline, um, it it affords you a really uh, a perspective that everyone should have at an early age. I, I think uh, you know I, I wish I would have figured it out before uh, the age I am now, <laughs> which I won't say. But <laughs> but it was uh, I wish I would have figured it out a long time ago. Um, I, I think. Um, I so, wasted a, a lot of time and like uh, not knowing what was really going on. <laughs> Will you make a children's book then? <laughs> well, uh, I, I think it, it's the the book I'm writing is not necessarily a children's book, but children should read it. Uh, <laughs> okay. Everyone should read it. Yeah. Uh, okay. Be- great. Because uh, that uh, that particular concept. I mean, there was a time when there there were no flowers on Earth, and there's a day when the first one, you know, the first one sprouted, and um, and there was a time when the only color on Earth was uh, every plant was green, and there's then there's a day when the first purple one pops up, and uh, uh, now of course you know we have all the colors uh, of, of as far you know the whole spectrum of colors, but. Uh, it wasn't always like that, and and not only that, but there's a, a chance that uh, it's part of the human uh, consciousness that even makes that perception possible. Uh, right. Who knows if it really exists outside of the way we think? 
Right. Anna and Helen, you've both read poems now, and, and I'd like to ask you this, connect, this question, um, which I think is in the back of every mind, writer's mind, and especially the poet. What connections are you most thinking to make with the people who read your poetry? What do you want them to come away from? What do you want them to feel or, or, or be? We all want to change them. I know when I write, I want people to, you know, to obviously be understood what's he saying and not have to run to a dictionary. Um, but be understandable. What do you want people to take from your work? And Ellen, well, please first. Yes, yes. The, well, the first thing is is to connect. You know, I I, I love the writer E. M. Forster, and and that's one of you know his quotes: "Only connect." And I think that's the the most basic thing for us human beings is to, is to connect. So that connection with others, I think, is primordial. You know, uh, for us to exist, to connect. And so, and the, you know, and then the other thing is is um, to move. You know, for people to go through an experience uh, and be, and be transformed somehow. Uh, so whether they connect, whether they relate, because everything you know uh, is also, even though the poems are written from a very personal experience, at the same time they have universality and. Uh, Right, and and you can connect to them. So we we that's that's when we um, that's how we build bridges, and that's how you know we're we're um, uh, art has this enormous impact because we we read somebody else's words and 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 they they affect us. So uh, as long as that is happening, and and uh, you know something very strange happened one day when my first book came out. I went to do a reading. Uh, I think it was at the Theosophical Society, or I forget where it was, but I went to do a reading, and I um, I signed a few books. And I think the next day, or a couple of days later, I, I received a phone call by um, uh, a guy. And I think I had written, I had uh, dedicated this book to this lady, and I had given her uh, my phone number as well. And... Um, yeah. And this guy says to me, uh, it was very eerie. He said he found my book walking on the street, picked it up, and he 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 felt so moved and so connected, you know, uh, after reading it. And it, it happened at a specific time in his life. Uh, the book was very helpful to him. It was, you know, it was almost they had it had almost of a supernatural quality to it it it, it, it was wow. it was uh, and he phoned me and and I was dumbfounded because in a way the book had found its reader for for, for some reason the lady was meant to lose it <laughs> i don't know how you drop a book on the street and not notice it right and 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 he, and he right and he was meant to find it and and he was just and he just went on and on he just really wanted to tell me about how much you know this book meant to him and he didn't want to meet me he didn't have any questions he just wanted to let me know that and i never forgot that how wonderful that's wonderful wow it was really really meant for him to find that book wasn't it yes because i know that's how it happens for me like you know how i'll find a book at a certain time in my life you know on my own in a bookstore or through a friend or you know or online and it'll be just what I needed at the time, you know. Or you know how you 
go through life, you know, through school by reading certain books, and, and some will really have an impact on you. You'll just connect with some more than with others. And they, to, to, to the extent that they will change your life, you know. Uh, so, yes, it's all about connecting in these different ways. I, I love the way you said the book found the reader instead of he found the book <laughs> on the street. The book found the reader. That's just it's magical. I want all the books to go and find the people who need them. <laughs> you know? Well, you know, everything is energy, right? Like we are all connected to to absolutely everything, right, and to one another, but to absolutely everything. Everything has energy. We're all made of 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 the same stuff right atoms and so it's i think i believe everything has energy even mm-hmm. inanimate objects they they and especially ones that have been you know that carry our dna because they have our words on them even more so <laughs> mm-hmm. yes um john did you have anything to add to that no i think that summed it up pretty well <laughs> <laughs> I think so, too. I was thinking, you know, this question was addressed to both of them, but what what else is there to say? Yeah, there's nothing <laughs> You know, you just said it. it. <laughs> well, you know, actually, why don't you start with the next one? I would love to know about the screenplay that you guys wrote together and the novel that it's based on. So if if you'd like to start telling us about that, John, I would love to hear about it. Uh, yeah, it's called Primate. Uh, basically, it's the story of a chimpanzee that is um, stolen from Africa and smuggled to the Florida Keys. Um, and uh, in the process of it being uh, stolen, its uh, its mother and family are all killed. Um, it's, it's a baby chimpanzee. Uh-huh. And uh, they, so they, they bring it, uh, smuggle it to the Florida Keys, to a place that's owned by a pharmaceutical company, and um, they have an island. It's, it's an island that uh, is just dedicated to raising monkeys uh, uh, for uh, scientific research. And the, the chimpanzee and certain uh, other, uh, uh, they're called bonobo apes, um, are... Uh, Raised in in what they make is a, a kind of a rainforest in a dome, and they raise these these animals there, um, trying to teach the adults to communicate, and they're they, they're trying to teach them sign language, but they they don't really catch on. But the baby uh, just kind of by osmosis uh, catches on and is able to use sign language proficiently. Um, and can basically uh, have a conversation with the scientist that works there who's been teaching it. And a, a few years go by, and he gets bigger and smarter and stronger, and then he runs across the guy who kidnapped him and uh, messes him up pretty badly. doesn't kill him, but messes him up pretty badly. And uh, in in the trial to determine whether this chimpanzee should be destroyed, uh, he is allowed to testify on his own behalf because he speaks sign language. And so uh, that's what the story is about an ape who testifies in court because he can speak sign language. God, uh, that sounds amazing. (laughs) Yeah, so that's what it is. 
And so I wrote the novel first, and then we, Helen and I, adapted it to a screenplay. Okay, uh, well, gosh, I can't wait to see that. That sounds amazing. (laughs) Yeah. Everybody uh, seems to like the story. Hmm. Um, Helen, I wanted to ask you about translation, since you you do so much of it. You, You translate your own and others' work. And I wanted to see if you could talk a little bit about what you've learned about writing from doing translation. Enormously. That's uh, such a good question. Enormously, because um, you just discover, um, uh, I mean, I've discovered new words. I've been translating this um, uh, poet, Jean-Claude Renard, this French poet, extremely spiritual, uh, whose um, whose writing is just um, very transcendent and... Um, and uh you know he's not very easily accessible um because you have to enter that that realm that he you know that he lives in and the language he uses is so incredibly beautiful and and so for me i i find it very enriching you know it's it's um the more you read or you know you learn a different language or um uh you you just uh, become better at um at at writing as 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 a result so, um, yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, I can imagine, and, and I like what you said about just you learn a new word because, right, you have to look it up to translate it, and then you know it, and it's in, in your bag for your next poem or your next... You <laughs> yes, know, you I, I it love it. Ab- of, absolutely, know. absolutely. And and my uh-huh. father, um, you know, writes in Spanish, and I've, I'm, I'm translating, uh, I've been translating him too, and he... he uh, he writes in very heightened language, you know, like Ezra Pound, and and that's also a, a different world to inhabit, and um, and uh, so you just uh, you know you're like clay, you know, and you 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 just it, it just molds you, you know, it just uh, better[s] you to uh, the more you the more you translate. I think. Do you read the poems Sorry. Do you read the poems aloud to yourself when you're doing the translations? Yeah, I mean, I don't start out that way, but eventually I do. <laughs> yeah, I think I would too. And you know, when I was getting ready for this evening, I actually read uh, your and John's poems aloud to myself a few times, and um, it's just it, it's exciting to taste someone else's language like that. And then to hear you guys read it and how it was different from the way I read it was just kind of amazing, really. So, Jeff, um, we are going to be winding down pretty soon. We've only got about ten minutes left, so I wanted to see if there are any last things that you'd like to ask. And Thank you, Melissa. We, have, um, we are um, planning ourselves um, an AWP conference next year on the West Coast. And, Helene, you... Um, you were here for the Boston conference um, this year. I wanted to know what your experience was like doing that. <laughs> yes, I will share that with you. One word: madness. John um, and I have been John <laughs> and I have been attending um, the Writers Conference now. You know these conferences for, I think, seven years, um, and um, and it's a wonderful way to um, you know meet poets. From uh, other parts of the country or the world, and um, I, I'm presenting each time. I present, you know, at least one panel, and it's usually a translation panel. Uh, this last one, I had 
also a publishing panel uh, um, that I was doing, and you know several readings. But uh, it's it's you know it's so many people in in one place you know uh, 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 you know uh, in time uh, hundreds I'm, I forget exactly how many were there but it's it's uh, thousands I'm, I'm tens of thousands tens of thousands <laughs> it's just it's just such pure madness and it's so hectic and you know at first I think in the beginning you want to attend you know as many panels as possible and and then in the end you're just so wiped out that you just decide, okay, I'm just going to do this and that, and I'm just going to try and have, you know, a good time and not put too much on my plate, you know. But, um, it, it, you know, <laughs> it's, it's just, yeah, it's just a sheer, sheer, sheer Interacting with the people, Helen, and having people come up and ask you those questions of being on the panel. Tell me just a little more detail about just that one-on-one experience. Well, the wonderful thing about the panels is, well, the ones you attend is, you know, you, 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 the discoveries you make, and then the ones you do, the people who come, uh, that's how I met the um, Pedro Serrano, for instance, who is the editor of uh, the uh, Periódico de Poesía, the journal from the uni- uni- Mexico, the university, um, uh, Mexico City University. And uh, he offered me to write an article about the poetry of my father, you know, for the journal. So that was a wonderful opportunity that came out of, uh, you know, him attending my panel. Or a few years ago, I was invited to read at Brown University also as as a result of, you know, uh, a panel I did. So I think you just never know. You have to remain very open and uh, for encounters, basically, you know, they're, for me, it's all magical encounters. You know, each time you do something, that you put something out in the world, uh, and if your spirit is, is generous, you know, if you if you share, which you know, John and I do, we 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 li- like putting people in touch, and then I think the universe responds back, and you you know, you have people come up to you as well with you know, saying we we we'd like to extend this invitation to you as well, and. And that's, I think, what makes you know um, it fun. Basically, uh, I, I call that the magic of it. You know, the <laughs> I totally agree because it's all about making those connections. They can be lifelong connections too. Just from just from introducing one person to another, they connect and they stay connected forever. It's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Plus, our, our publishers in Ireland know so like we either have to go all the way there or they yeah. need us part way. No, it's <laughs> true because uh, sh- yeah, our, our publisher um, comes to the to the writers' conference, so it's it's a great opportunity to to support her. You know, to be there. They, there there are two things going on. There's there's the conference and there's the uh, book fair, and then all the publishers have booths at the book fair tables. You know, w- with the books. And so they they set up you know uh, signings for the authors and 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 the authors you know um, you browse you you go to your own you know publishers and support them there and you also go visit others and see you know what the new books are and who's there you know signing their books so that's um, that's very important to go and, and meet your publishers. <laughs> I must Helen should give another shout out to Salmon Publishing and Jesse just wonderful wonderful publisher you found you have found a wonderful Wonderful nurturing home there, I believe. Oh, absolutely. Jessie Landon is extraordinary. She's just, um, uh, uh, first, she's uh, a fantastic poet herself. I mean, she she's such a beautiful, beautiful poet, and then she just, you know, has this love for, for, um, 
for poetry, poets, you know, writers, and, and supports them in, in the most incredible way. And Ireland is a country that really supports its poets and writers. You, you, you had a post, uh, Melissa, on Facebook about that, you know, what are, uh, what are our values? What is it we value? Why? What is it we're willing to, you know, when you think of it, why do we choose to pay certain people more than others? You know, why is it not that the educators are paid the most? You know, the, 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 you know, the scientists, the, you know, um, pop culture is what it is, right? And it's, it's, you, you want, you want education to reach the most people so it elevates, you know, the level of, of uh, you know, the quality of, of, of life for everyone, basically. Right. And so it's the same, you know, with, with food, the, the, the fast food, uh, you know, those are the most popular and, and they, they do very well, these businesses. And, um, and uh, the more literary uh, books sometimes, the, you know, and poetry is, is, is a heightened way of expression. So uh, it's not always accessible or people think so because they haven't been um exposed to it i think if you start reading it early or if it's it's like just having a cup of tea it's nothing you know unusual then it it doesn't become something like oh i don't know if i (laughs) you know what i'm saying (laughs) oh i know exactly what you mean yes yes country like ireland for instance on, on on its bank bills you know its note bills on its money has the faces of sports and writers you know and mexico does too and and you can see the, the value, you know, of uh, the importance, like John spoke about the importance of, of poets throughout throughout history. And uh, not only that, in Ireland, um, writers don't, don't pay taxes on the money they earn from their writing. So, you know. <laughs> that, that, should, that should be worldwide. <laughs> I never knew that. Thank you, Willen. I guess I was going for France, but I may switch over to Ireland. I didn't know it. We'll all be moving to Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> we're there, and, <laughs> and John's Irish too, right? John, we're one. running out of time, and thank you so much. Yes. It's been an absolute pleasure to get to speak yes. with and interview again, Helen. It's been marvelous. And John, really nice to connect your voice with your post on Facebook and your picture. Pleasure. I hope we can speak again as well. And Melissa, thank you again, and thank you to Donna and the Tefericher. Uh, well, we'll meet you. soon. Well, Hopefully, we'll, we'll meet. Yeah, <laughs> we'll meet in Seattle, Jeff. <laughs> Um, I have two two last questions that I want to pose to both of you before we all hang up. Um, I would like for each of you just to take a minute and tell our listeners about your most recently published book, just a little bit about the book, what it's about, where they can find it, and also if you have any other readings, events, publications, just anything coming up that you would like to let us know about, and how to get to your website if you have one. So that's three I meant to say, too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So in a nutshell, my book is called Dreaming My Animal Selves. Um, my website, so it's published by Salmon Poetry. You can find it on the Salmon Poetry website, which is salmonpoetry.com. You can also find it on Amazon. And I know it's on, you know, all uh, Goodreads and, all, you know, it's, it's uh, everywhere else. But right now, because it's brand new, it's actually coming out, you know, basically this week in the, in the U.S. So it's, it's on sale <laughs> for a short time on Amazon um, because of the launch. Um, it's, uh, for me, the idea of the book was to give voice to mutable selves, you know, all the many hats I've worn up over the years, you know, through the prism of dreams, myth, legend, and fantasy. And uh, it's a book inhabited by animals who are a constant in my life. So that's in a nutshell. Okay. And my most recent book is The Mind. It's also from Salmon Poetry, uh, so it's on their website and at Amazon.com. 
and, so and my website, I don't know if I said it, but it's my name.com. It's HelenCardona.com, which is spelled uh, H-E-L-E-N-E-C-A-R-D-O-N-A.com. And another thing about my book, which is going to interest some people, is it's bilingual, written in both French and English. So the um, poems face the translation on the on the page, um, and um, uh, so for the francophiles, and uh, there's a foreword and introduction by um, Brian Turner. So I'm very grateful to to Brian to that and to Willis Barnstone and David Mason and um, Thomas McCartney, who's an extraordinary uh, uh, Thomas McCarthy, who's an extraordinary Irish poet for their endorsements, you know, which means the oh, world. And, of course, Jean Houston, um, the extraordinary yeah. mythologist, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was oh, very wonderful. Grateful. Well, thank you both so much for, for telling us about your most recent works and also for being here. It's just been a delight to speak with both of you and learn more about what drives your work and, and everything. So thank you. And thank you, Jeff, for helping me host the show. It's Pleasure. Always wonderful to have you with me. Pleasure. Thank you, Melissa, so much, so very much. Yeah, thank you both so much. Oh, Melissa you're and Jeff, most so, so much. <laughs> and y'all have a, a wonderful night, and we'll we'll probably meet y'all in Seattle next year. <laughs> <laughs> yes. If not sooner, Good night, for sure. everyone. Thank if you not so sooner. much. All right. Okay. Thank Good night, you. everyone. Bye. Good night. And before we close, I'd like to let our listeners know that there will be poetry by both John and Helen in upcoming Deferret issues. You can subscribe, donate, or purchase single issues of the journal at our website, www.deferretjournal.com. And while you're there, be sure to check out the new Deferret Talk book, a collection of interviews from the first year of Deferret Talk Radio. And also have a look at the special invitation from Hay House Publishers to join authors Gabrielle Bernstein, Chris Carr, Nancy Levin, and Reed Tracy for a writer's workshop in New York City, June 22nd to 23rd. Our next Ferret Talk interview will be May 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time with Molly Peacock, poet, creative nonfiction writer, and former president of the Poetry Society of America. We'll be focusing on her book, The Paper Garden, Mrs. Delaney Begins Her Life's Work at 72. We hope you'll join us then. And in the meantime, we wish you peace, love, happiness, and fulfilling work. Goodbye. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.